want to speak on today is just the first few words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, it teaches so much to us about what prayer means, how we should approach prayer. Let me say this, whenever you use the Lord's Prayer, which is obviously in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, you're using words that have probably been quoted more than any other passage of the Bible all across the world every Sunday. In most of the languages of the world, at least the vast majority of them, in all the nations or nearly all the nations, the islands of the sea, the various continents, there'll be more people that are quoting, praying, using, claiming the Lord's Prayer given us by Jesus than any other portion of Scripture. So it's a very much part of our lives as Christian people and as worshiping congregations, our Father who art in heaven. We notice, first of all, that the opening words to the Lord's Prayer teaches us that who God is, is the starting point of all true prayer. The most important thing about prayer is who God is. Of course, it's a very important place for me and for my needs. That's legitimate. But we start off, most importantly, with who the one is to whom we are addressing our praises and requests. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They had seen the disciples of John the Baptist praying, and so they asked Christ, Lord, teach us to pray. And he starts them off with the fatherhood of God, teaching us that when we pray, it is our ground for prayer, our standing place, our rock, our refuge, our hope. To call to mind that the one to whom we pray is our heavenly Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Now, the fullness of the Bible, Old and New Testament, teaches many things about God. And God is given various names in the Hebrew Old Testament, and then that translated into the Greek 
in the Greek New Testament, usually through the Septuagint. But what Jesus starts with, and he could have brought out many true things about who God is, God of the Bible, the one true God, is that he is Father. One of the greatest theologians who ever lived was St. Athanasius of Alexandria in the 4th century. And he helped lead the Council of Nicaea, which firmly concluded against the sort of modernist, if I could use such a word of that time, that the Lord Jesus Christ is equal to God the Father Almighty, that he is the eternal Son of God. He's the Son of the Father, and not merely like God, he is God. And in one of his writings, St. Athanasius brings out the interesting point that the fathers of Nicaea, somewhat along the lines of the order of words, in the Apostles' Creed, had to decide when they spoke of God, of the one God, would they start with God as creator, for he is that, or would they start with God as Father? And they clearly made the decision that the starting point in understanding God, both in confessing his holy name to the world and in speaking to him in worship and in prayer, is that he is Father. And they said, God has always been Father. Trinity is remarkable. In that within Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son is as old as the Father. It's amazing. The Father has never been without his Son. The Son has never been without his Father. And both of them always united in the, as St. Augustine said, the bonds of charity of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit. God has always existed as Father. For God to exist is to exist as a trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A little bit like a family. I'll come to that in a minute. But God has not always been creator. Yes, you could say the creation was always in the mind of God. Everything is planned. God knows the end from the beginning, but at a certain point in eternity, God speaks worlds into existence. God speaks and solar systems and galaxies and nebulae spring into being. So he becomes creator at some point in eternity. Maybe thousands of years ago, that can be debated one way or another. He always was Father, and he becomes Creator, the mighty, omnipotent, wise, amazing, 
creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. But Jesus teaches us when we start to pray, first of all, to think of our God as Father, which art in heaven. When we say Father, it gives us a certain connection with our normal human life. God has caused us to be born, in most cases, to be born in a family, at least in many cases. And so... We, in general, know what it is to have a father. And God is to some degree like that. And indeed, the reason we are made or created to wish to live in family life if we're called to marriage, not all are called to marriage, but many are. If you're called to marriage, then to be married. And uh, if you're blessed with children, then to rear children. We're called to live and function in family life because of the fatherhood of God. Family life is in some ways a reflection of who God essentially is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we read the words of Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. Father, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, fatherhood, family life, comes from who God essentially is. And that's why... Uh, the most valuable thing to us in all our years of earthly life is family, other than God. God is the greatest value, I guess. Other than God himself, the most valuable thing we know of is family. I mean, in, in, again, in most cases, I know there are exceptions to all this, but in most cases... When people make a will, a last will and testament, the ones to whom they leave whatever they have of earthly possessions is to family. If you're in need or far away, the ones you think of would be different members of the family. So the most precious thing to any of us on earth would be family. And that's because we're created in the image not only of God the Father, but of the blessed Holy Trinity who has always lived and existed in a family kind of life. And so... Everybody is created in the image of God, who is the Father. In one sense, he is the Father of all, 
the descendants of Adam and Eve. Genesis 1.26 says that, And God said, Let us make man, means mankind, male and female, in our image after our likeness. Everybody is in the image and likeness of God. From Adam on down to the last people who will be born before Christ comes back in power and glory. And the fact that all people, one way or another, are originally in the image of God, even though that image is effaced by sin, sin came in in Adam and Eve and twisted the image. C.S. Lewis used to say that the image is bent or twisted in us, but there's enough of it that you have a conscience. Part of the image of God in every person is that he or she has a conscience, a moral monitor that says, do right and avoid wrong. God is Father by creation is the reason we shall all stand the last day and assemble the universe before the face of God and give an account for how we have lived, for whether we have obeyed him or disobeyed, for whether we have trusted him or not. Trusted him. And let me say this image of God in humankind is everlasting. I don't wish to be <laughs> anyway depressing to you, but just faithful to scripture and say some people have the idea that when you die physically it's all over. It's blank nothingness. That's not true. There's an immortal subsistence in you of the image of God that will always exist somewhere. If you come to trust in Christ for forgiveness of your sins, you'll always be with God the Father in heaven by grace. But if you reject the offers of the gospel and disdain it, then you'll be separated from God, but you will still exist, and that existence will never end. So, separation from God in hell is just as long as being in the very loving, affectionate presence of God in heaven. On and on and on. And that's because of the image of God by creation. Now, however, I'm getting ready to come to a point of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. There's another sense in which God is the Father by affection and closeness and love only to those who believe in him by faith. As far back as the first few chapters of Genesis, 
you have Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain rejected God. Abel believed in God, and Cain slew Abel, and then Abel is replaced by another believer, by Seth. All the way through, you had uh, Noah and his family, eight of them, were the only believers in the world at that time, and presumably millions of those who rejected God were drowned in the flood. And then God begins restoring things and calls out Abram or Abraham as we come to know him. And he is the father of the faithful. He believed. God called him into the covenant of grace. God was his and he was God's. And also his seed were included in that covenant of grace that God saves you because of who God is and what God does for you not because of your worthiness and on through and in the history of Israel for a few thousand years the faith that people could know God as Father existed in the earth though mostly in Israel It's often said, and it's true, if you look in your Bibles, there's much more said in the New Testament about God as our Father than in the Old Testament. And that's easy to know why, because the New Testament is written after Christ, the Son has come and most fully revealed the Father. Famous Scottish theologian in Edinburgh, many years ago used to say it is in the face of the son that we see the heart of the father most fully revealed and so the new testament's got far more about god his father since the son has come into the flesh and demonstrated the heart of the father however even in the old testament I'll look at that with you just a moment In the Old Testament, there's uh, some rich and beautiful and gripping teaching on God as our Father. Psalm 103, which is a psalm that makes no requests other than that God be blessed. Some have called it a psalm of unmingled praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's a psalm of unmingled praise. Total, totally taken up with the blessing of God. And in this 103rd psalm, we have these words in verse 13. Psalm 103, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. 
part of where we can identify with God is Father, and at least if we had a decent father ourselves, is the, the, the pity, the compassion that a father has on his son or daughter. How they put themselves out to help you when you need it, when you're down or weak. And then this wonderful Psalm 103 says in verse 10, a psalm, uh, a verse you could well underline in your Bibles and memorize it if you haven't up to this point. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And he's saying how tenderly the heavenly Father deals with his children when they go off the rails. I remember maybe 30 years ago, a student coming in to speak to me in my office, very able student, wanting to confess a particular <coughs> sin. And it just came to me to say to him, verse 14 of Psalm 103, and I thought, that's the thing to say to him. I heard him very carefully, said nothing, listened to everything he wanted to confess. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He told me it brought him great liberation of spirit and set him free. Knowing the forgiveness of God, God understood his humanity, his dust. And he got out from under this thing. I saw this young man, he's not as young now. When I look at some of the first students I taught, how they've aged, I wonder what I look like. But <laughs> I was speaking to him at a particular social function in the last year or so. And he reminded me of how God set him free. By reminding him of what a father does. For he remembereth our frame. He knoweth that we're dust. I want to say to you, I don't know. I couldn't know uh, very many of you, if any of you, as to what you had in mind when you came into church. But any congregation of any size is very likely at least a few people, sometimes the most conscientious people in the congregation, will come in feeling not only unworthy, we all feel that, but come in feeling 
they can't really pray. They can't really get through to God. They'll go through the service and they approve of it, but it won't work for them because of the physical frame and the emotional weaknesses that they have to deal with in any week and some days worse than others. Paul speaks in Romans 7 of sin that dwelleth in me. I want to rebuke the devil. He will say to you, all right, there's there's sermons on prayer, possibly all right, but it won't work for you. Don't you think that you're going to get anywhere with it? Because of this sin or these sins. Well, that's the speaking of the evil one. God's word says that our heavenly father, part of his fatherhood, and I think that's part of the encouragement that Jesus starts us out with in the Lord's Prayer, part of his fatherhood is that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he is the very one who invites us to come to him. Yet the, the, you know, the fallen human nature and the powers of evil will misrepresent God. They do not want you to think of God as your Father who is in heaven. They want you to think of God only as creator and judge. Well, he is judge. He is creator. But that judgment has been placed on the head of Christ for everybody that says, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, receive me. Lord, hear me. And the Father sees you in Christ, the Son. He sent to die in your place and to rise in your stead and to pour out his spirit on you so you can share his life. And he hears you. Jesus once said in John's gospel, My Father always heareth me. And when you're praying in Jesus' name, the tones of the Son of God break through your prayers. And God the Father Almighty hears you. In the highest place. Now let me say this. Over the, I've been ordained now a little more than 50 years. It's a long time. 
And over the years, I've tried to preach the various texts of Scripture, doctrines of the Bible as best I could. I doubt I always got it right, but I did try to be faithful in my limited understanding. And I've always believed the teaching of Scripture and election that Jesus is saying, teaching his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, and that to desire God to be your Father and to hear you, it's a sign of God drawing you. It's a sign of election. The mystery is there. You know, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong unto us and to our children that we may do them. There are mysteries here in, in all doctrines, not least election. But it is true that One of the signs of the Father calling you into the fullness of the affectionate family life is that you want to talk to him in prayer. You want his mercy. You want his help. And let me say this, lest anyone be uh, made uneasy are discouraged. Say this. In all my years of teaching of the scriptures, both testaments, I've never found a single text that indicates God turned away anybody who was seeking his mercy. I can't find anywhere Law, prophet, wisdom, literature, gospel, or epistle. Nowhere do you see God turning back somebody that said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy upon me. To the contrary. God is good when you want him to help you. God is the more pleased when you say, forgive me because of what your son did in the room of sinners, and I confess him. And the Father is honored. God will never turn you back. Never do you find such a thing happening in Scripture if you come to him seeking and praying. That's his word. We can think of our Heavenly Father in terms of the father of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. The prodigal son had done all kind of wrong things with his life. He maybe had come close to violating every sin in the book. 
but down in the country of the lost, down in the swine pit, he thinks of his father and decides to go home. And the parable that Jesus is using to represent what our Heavenly Father is like shows the Father. We can imagine a, a distinguished gentleman, white robes, upstanding fine on, as we would say, his front porch, looking down the road and seeing his lost and sinning son coming down the road back towards the front door of his home. And rather than waiting to judge the son or turn the son away, this father who clearly represents the Lord God Almighty, our eternal father through grace, he comes out with his arms open wide and receives his son. And so Luke 30 verse 18, Luke 30 verse 18 says, Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Now think of that. God is waiting like the father of the prodigal son waited for the son to come back so he could forgive him and bless him and restore him to the family life. God is waiting not to issue the judgments upon you that you and I both richly deserve, but God is waiting to be gracious unto you. And every time we go to pray, we remember... Our Father, who art in heaven, his affection, his grace, and we the more readily pray. And may it be so, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.